0: We are beginning a new year. Yay! (laughs) And I know all of you are probably thinking, boy, I hope it's better than 2021. How could it not be? That was a pretty hard year. We've had a lot of personal challenges, family challenges, job challenges, challenges with The death of loved ones, challenges with national issues, the economy, and challenges here in our own church. The session has been in much prayer during this season of challenges, and we have felt that God wants us to enter this new year with a call to prayer for all of our church family. This is a prayer initiative We're calling upon everyone to concentrate prayer in our worship services, prayer in our ministry gatherings, our groups, prayer in our personal lives for at least the next 40 days. And at the end of this sermon, Ruling Elder Dr. Howell Tucker will give a brief introduction to this prayer initiative and pray for the specific prayer requests that we're asking. As I was thinking and praying about a passage to preach to kick off this prayer initiative, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20 came to my mind. There are a lot of scripture passages on prayer, but this one comes at the end of the book of Ephesians and at the end of Paul calling God's people to take up the spiritual armor of God in the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. Paul is writing this letter chained to a Roman guard under house arrest for preaching the gospel. And he writes the first half of this letter encouraging the Ephesians with the indicatives, the truths about what God has done for them, what they have in Christ. He prays, that they might know the hope and the love of Christ. He teaches them how God brought them out of spiritual darkness and made them alive together in Christ. He writes about how God made them one, how he united both Jews and Gentiles into one body through the mystery of the gospel that has now been made known to them. And he prays for the Holy Spirit to strengthen them. And then, in chapter 4, he begins exhorting them. He begins with imperatives, commands based on these indicatives, these statements of facts. They are to walk in a manner worthy of their calling, in all humility, gentleness, love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. They are to see that God has given them gifts to the church, pastors and teachers to equip them for ministry to serve and to grow in maturity, and they're to be holy, holy in how they think and act and speak, and they're to walk in love. And then he zeroes in on how this ought to be worked out in the basic institution of society, the family between husbands and wives and children in response to their parents, and then how this ought to be worked out in the sphere of work relationships. And at the end of the letter, he concludes that all to do all of this, believers must be strong. And they can only be strong by putting on God's spiritual armor because they are in a constant state of war, spiritual battle, a war against cosmic authorities and powers against spiritual forces of evil. And then he explains this armor that we must take up to withstand the devil's attacks and to stand firm. We must fasten the belt of truth around us. We must put on the breastplate of righteousness. We must put on the shoes of the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're to take up the shield of faith. We are to take up the helmet of salvation and we are to take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. But at the end of this list of God's armor, Paul mentions one more weapon which is crucial to all the rest of God's armor. It's crucial to putting on the armor of God and taking action with that armor and that is all prayer. So please follow along with me as we read once again just verses 18 through 20 of Ephesians chapter 6. This is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That ends the reading of God's word. Well, we're going to see from our text that since all believers are soldiers in this spiritual warfare and we are to be armed and engaged in battle, we can only fight as we pray. You could say, we fight while we're on our knees. And the secret weapon behind this armor, which empowers us, is prayer. Paul gives this special emphasis on prayer before he closes this epistle. And our primary text is verse 18, which provides us with a pretty easy outline for this sermon, the four alls of prayer. John Bunyan, the 17th century Puritan who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress, an allegory of the Christian life, he talks about the main character, Christian, who is on this pilgrimage, this journey in the Christian life. And he encounters all kinds of trials and challenges. And when he goes through the valley of the shadow of death, he uses the weapon that he calls all prayer. And he takes it from this passage in verse 18. And so the first thing that God wants us to see about prayer is the when and where of prayer. Believers are to be praying at all times. Point number one. He says... Praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, what does this mean? Does it mean that we're always to be on our knees, that we're always to be praying verbally or silently throughout the day? Well, I don't think that's quite possible. I think what he means, though, is in all circumstances, we ought to have an attitude of continually depending upon God and communing with Him in prayer. We ought to pray in difficult times and in good times, all situations in life should draw forth prayer from us. If we're happy, we ought to express it in prayer. If we are despondent, we should pray about that. We should pray in our work situations. We ought to pray in our free time. We ought to pray when we're with friends or among enemies, In other words, there is no situation in life from which prayer should be absent. It should be the posture of our heart. We talk with Him throughout the day in all of our circumstances, expressing our thanksgiving or our adoration or our confession of sin or our desires and needs. It's expressing a heart, ever lifting up God. In other words, God is to be in our thoughts as we walk through life. Each day, whether we lie down or we rise up, we have a secret dialogue with God. Always looking up. Even when we're doing menial tasks like blowing off the driveway or cleaning the house or putting away all the Christmas items, it's to be a natural and consistent part of our lives. But a Along with this, Paul states that we are to pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, believers have the Spirit in them. And what it means is calling upon the Holy Spirit to help us to pray. We're told in Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit helps us to pray even when we do not know how to pray or what to pray for. We know that the Holy Spirit's main goal is to make the things of Christ, known to us, what we have in Christ. The main goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ, to show us that without Him we can do nothing and we must abide in Him. Prayer is a way of abiding in Christ. Praying in the Spirit means praying according to God's will revealed in the Scriptures. And so, the Spirit convicts us of sin, aligns our hearts and wills to God's. Changes our priorities when they're not God's priorities. Changes our affections when our primary affections aren't for the Lord. You know, we so easily tire of prayer or get distracted from prayer. Sometimes we get so depressed, so discouraged, we don't want to pray or we don't feel we can pray. Well, the Holy Spirit gives us the energy and the commitment to pray when we call out to him, he accomplishes what sheer willpower cannot. Well, the second all is that we are to be praying all kinds of prayers. All kinds of prayers. He says, with all prayer and supplication. Is he repeating himself here? No. There are two different aspects of prayer that he's referring to here. All prayer means all kinds of prayers. All types of of prayers. Many of you learned the acrostic acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. God not only wants us to express our needs to him, but he wants us to worship him and to praise him in our prayers. He wants us to confess our sins in our prayers. He wants us to thank him for his grace and the forgiveness of our sins, and all the blessings that He has given us in Christ in our prayers. So this means varied prayers or different types of prayers. You know, Jesus' model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, contains all of these types of prayers. And of course, supplicating prayer is the prayer that we often default to, expressing our needs and our desires to God. After all, Jesus told us to pray give us our daily bread if we come to god according to his will and pray for those things which pleases him we can be confident that he will answer our prayers in his time well thirdly believers are to be praying with all perseverance all perseverance paul says to that end keep alert with all perseverance Keeping alert. Interesting. What are we to be alert about? Well, we are to be alert about the spiritual warfare around us. This is the context. Spiritual battles. The devil is on the prowl. Sinclair Ferguson says, Christ is building his church on territory that has been occupied by an enemy. Alertness is always essential when living in a war zone. Do you remind yourself that you are in a war zone every day? As believers, we need to be alert to how this warfare is taking place around us and pray accordingly. What is the nature of the spiritual warfare in your life right now? Are you being tempted with a particular sin? Are you being tempted to fear? Are you being tempted to be angry? Are you being tempted to be bitter? All kinds of ways that the the devil is trying to tempt us. Warfare. What is the warfare in this church? How do we need to be praying? against this warfare, praying that we might be alert for the underlying schemes of the devil and pray for ourselves and pray for others that we might be fortified with God's armor. All perseverance. What does that mean? It means being persistent in prayer. Now, God doesn't regard prayer as a meritorious work. We don't earn merit by how hard we work at prayer, but God does sovereignly choose to encourage persistent prayer and answers persistent prayer. In one of his prayer parables, Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 18 verses 2 through 5 what he wants from all believers. Here's the word of the Lord. What is Jesus teaching in that parable? Certainly he's not teaching us that God is like that judge. No, what he's saying is in this fallen world if persistence works with even sinful, evil people how much more does it work and is it effective with our God who is our Father who loves his children. He is attentive to his children's persistence in prayer you know the cultivation of persistence was a reoccurring motif in Jesus' teaching on prayer at the end of the sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 7 7 he enjoined his followers to tenacious pursuit of persistent prayer for spiritual things you remember what he commanded ask and it will be given to you seek And you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. These verbs are present imperatives, meaning it should read, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Finally, believers are to be praying for all the saints. Point four, Paul says, making supplication for all the saints. Now, saints does not refer to some extra special godly people. No. It's a term that's used in the Bible for all Christians. And it means those who are set apart and holy. Believers are not saints because they have earned this status by their works in God's eyes. No. In fact, what the Bible says, tells us clearly that apart from Christ, we are the opposite of saints. We are born with a sinful nature. We're born separated from God. The Bible clearly states that we have a sinful rebellion in us apart from the grace of God that has been passed down to us from the first man, Adam, when he sinned. We are natural enemies of God. Separated him from Him because of our sin. He's holy. We are not. We violate His commandments, and yet He requires perfect obedience according to His commandments. In thought, word, and deed, we fall miserably short of that requirement. But God is also just, and apart from Christ, we are under His judgment and His wrath. Because God must punish all sin. We cannot be holy and we cannot make payment for our sins. That is the condition of man without God's grace. But God in His love, in His mercy, sent His Son to meet those requirements for His people, to become our substitute. He did this by the second person of the Trinity, God Himself coming to this world remaining God and yet taking on a human nature, a human body, and yet without sin. And he did it to live and to die in our place. He did it to fulfill God's laws as a human being perfectly for us in order to transfer to his people his record of perfect righteousness, to clothe us with his righteousness. And he also went to the cross to have our sin debts transferred to himself to receive the judgment that we deserved, He received the equivalent of hell on the cross for his people's sins through his suffering, through his bleeding and his dying. But he rose from the dead on the third day having victory over the power of sin, over the power of death and the devil for us. He confirmed that he truly was God the Son, the Messiah, and the Father accepted his substitutionary work for our salvation. And so, all who are born again, all who have trusted in Christ's work alone for their salvation, and who have turned from their life of sin and surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Christ, they are declared righteous before God. And forgiven of all their sins. They are adopted. Sons and daughters of God. Brought into his kingdom. They are declared saints. Holy. And set apart. And they're given the gift. Of eternal life. In heaven with him forever. And so becoming a saint. Is not because of anything we have done. But because of what Christ. Has done alone for us. By his grace alone received by faith alone. And so we are to pray for all the saints, meaning all believers. It's a call away from just praying for ourselves. In other words, our prayers ought to be for the whole church. The saints should have a large part of our prayer requests. And of course there are millions of saints in the world today. We can't pray for them by name, but we can generally pray for the saints all over the world. And we know in certain pockets of the world what their specific needs are. We are to pray for the persecuted church. We're to pray for those who are in places of hunger, those who are in places where there's physical warfare. We're to pray for the growth of God's church and the promotion of the gospel. We're to pray for the missionaries that are among them who are seeking to plant churches and make disciples. But our prayers also ought to be specific for saints by name. In other words, what are our circles of relationships? Pray for people in those circles of relationships, for your families, for your good friends, for those in small groups, in Sunday school class the whole church family, those who are officers and pastors and teachers. Paul gives us a personal example here of this kind of supplication in verses 19 through 20 when he writes, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was a great apostle, a man of great faith, a man of great courage, great intellect, great abilities. He had gone through much persecution, but he was wise enough to humble himself, to ask his friends to pray for him. And it shows us, doesn't it, that he had a dependence on others to pray. He's in jail But did you note that he didn't pray that he'd be released from jail? He's under hardship, but did you notice he does not pray for physical things? What does he pray for? That words will be given him in opening his mouth. He prays for boldness in proclaiming the gospel. What this shows me here is that just because people may seem to be gifted, seem to be courageous... It doesn't mean there aren't times in their lives when they are feeling very insecure, trembling inside. They need much prayer. We all need much prayer. We all need prayer to be alert to the devil's schemes and put on the armor of God to stand and fight in the battle. And you know what? We need prayer to be in prayer. And so we've seen... The importance of all prayer, knowing that we're in a war zone, we need to put on the armor of God and to stand and fight. We need to pray that we will do that. This is the way we tap into God's strength and the power to resist the devil. So we've seen this prayer is to be done at all times, with all kinds of prayer, with all perseverance, and for all the saints. Samuel Chadwick once said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless study, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Calvin said, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. So what application should we take away from this text about prayer, all prayer? Well, first, we must realize number one, prayer is a privilege. We have access to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe, who is sovereign over all things and all powerful. This is a wonderful means of communing with God and growing in grace. What a privilege! to come before the throne of grace at any time, to have conversation with God throughout the day. It's the way our wills and our desires are reoriented to His. It's the way that we're strengthened in battle. But we also need to realize a person must be a believer to pray this way and expect God to answer. Only those who are born again who have received Christ as Savior and Lord and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, enjoy this privilege of all prayer. So examine your hearts this morning. Make sure you have true saving faith. And also, if you're a believer and you have a known, unconfessed sin in your life, your prayers will be hindered. So make it a point when you pray to confess your sins, to repent of your sins. Prayer isn't to be looked at as a work that we do to earn God's favor or to get something from God or to get God to do something for us. It's a result of having already received God's grace and goodness and love and that compels us to commune with him and to find our life in him. It's like breathing is to our body. That's what it is to our soul. Secondly, we should realize prayer is not a spiritual gift given only to some, but a responsibility for all believers. You know, sometimes we look at other people and we think, boy, that person has the gift of prayer. Well, nowhere in the Bible is prayer referred to as a spiritual gift given just to a few or some. No, prayer is a necessity for all of us to use, to exercise. God uses it to empower us, to prepare us for spiritual warfare. One example of this in the Old Testament is 2 Chronicles 20. King Jehoshaphat was made aware that a great multitude made up of three different armies were coming against him and Judah, and he was afraid. And it says he set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout Judah, and he assembled God's people from all the cities to pray. And Jehoshaphat led them in this great, wonderful prayer, acknowledging God's greatness and power, his faithfulness in the past. He acknowledged God's covenant promises to his people. He prayed with confidence that God would hear them in the midst of their affliction and save them. And he acknowledged their powerlessness and that they did not know what to do. But their eyes were on him. And you know what? God empowered them to go out against this vast enemy as they worshipped God. And as they did this, God miraculously defeated their enemies. This is what we ought to acknowledge in our prayers. That we don't know what to do. That we are powerless. But our eyes are on him. And he will give us the victory. And so thirdly, finally, I'm challenging you, Carriage Lane, my church family, start this new year with a rededication to call for all prayer. Paul was not writing to individuals. He was writing to the church, to the community of believers. And therefore, God is challenging all of us together from this text. And as the session is calling us to pray, to seek God's face. We are to set aside specific times for specific prayers in our meetings, in our groups, in our families, in our private times, in our worship services. Special emphasis for the next 40 days at least on prayers for guidance, discernment, healing, peace, unity as we prepare for a search for a new senior pastor. And we'll give you reminders, we'll distribute prayer cards, the elders will lead us in prayer in our worship services, and we'll encourage you to even set aside times of fasting and prayer if God so leads you. Well, I believe that God will honor our prayers if we all commit to this call for all prayer with sincerity and faith. Amen? Amen.